What's going on, podcast people? We are back in the uh, very high end, very very uh, exclusive twelve eleven studio. Don't don't look up. <laughs> uh, I'm joined again by the infamous uh, by viewer request Todd Carter. Can I hear a round of applause? It's that one. Are you excited to be back in here? Yes. Are you sure you're excited? Yes. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to flip the scripts today. So you got me way out of my comfort zone, um, an undisclosed number of weeks ago and had me sitting here and give my testimony. But you, sir, you, sir, I hear have a fairly interesting testimony. Not so much. No, no, it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Okay. Well, we, we, we like simple, the simplicity of the gospel. So I want to dive in. I want to, so the kind of the format that we've walked people through, the same thing I want to do with you is. I would just want to kind of get us in the brain of Todd and like, how did you grow up? You know, what was your upbringing like and what does it look like from young Todd being formed to now you have Christ somewhere in the middle that happened middle beginning and, and just how do we get there? You know, so take us back to your childhood. Did you grow up in Maryland or? Yeah, I was born in uh, Baltimore uh, and grew up in the Dundalk area. Hey hun to all my huns out there. What's up? Um, so then we moved when we were, when I was in second grade, we moved to the Eastern shore. Um, my grandparents, my mom's from that, from the Eastern shore and my mom, my grandfather, my great grandfather, excuse me, got very ill and he needed like home care. So this happened like during the summertime of like my second grade year between the second and third. And uh, my mom said, you know what, we'll just spend the summer there and we'll take care of him. Um, so the summer came and then it almost went. And then my mom was like, Hey, uh, let's just stay here. So my dad was doing some route sales stuff on the Western shore. And so he would, he would stay at, um, our house in Dundalk throughout the week. And then he would come down on the weekends until they sold the house. And so we moved to the Eastern shore. So we went from being in the ghetto right there by O'Donnell Heights, right on, right on the row home there to go into the eastern shore of Maryland and, you know, acres and acres of land. And so it was, it was cool. It's been, it's been a great ride, and I've lived over there pretty much my whole life until just recently God said, sell your house and um, move to the city. So here we stand. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a big jump from Dundalk. 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 I, I cannot confirm nor deny that was part of my stomping grounds running around down by, uh, yeah, Peninsula Expressway and, and uh, anyway, Squires. So the, uh, so Dundalk. I love Squires. Squires has some good food, man, but Dundalk Avenue is rough. Um, so so I, I guess it wasn't really something that you remember so much that jump out at Dundalk. It's second grade. So that's not like um, you didn't have like, you know, all your teenage years built there or anything like that. Like you moved over pretty early. You know, uh, there was a lot of scary things that happened in Dundalk. Um, like enough, what? you know, that you remember stuff like it's, it's just like Florida, man, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dundalk, man, rides an alligator to work. <laughs> okay. So, um, I just remember being really small and, you know, right across the street, we had, it was a gas station, convenience store, a nightclub, um, and like another bar or something. And this was a long time ago cause I'm, you know, <laughs> years old, um, but but nevertheless, um, I remember, and I'm showing my age, but when we would go to like a 
department store or whatever, we would the store that my dad would go to was a place called Montgomery's Ward. Montgomery Ward. You might have heard about it in history books, Andrew. I read about it on a tablet. Yeah, just, chiseled the name. <laughs> just trust me on it. Okay, it's true. It really happened. Um, but my dad would go to the you know appliance store to pick up an appliance, and he would tell talk to the appliance salesman, and you know he would say, "I want the biggest, loudest, most." Biggest BTU unit you can find, most inefficient, big old electric guzzler air conditioners that you can find. Because the the row homes that we in, we were in, they had no AC, no central AC, so we had all these window units in there. And so my dad would ask the salesman, much to his surprise, he was like, "Really?" And he's like, "Yeah." So, um, and the reason we did that was to drown out the gunshot gunshot sounds, the fights, the arguments, and all the stuff that was ha- happening in front of the yeah. light nightclub yeah. or the bar or whatever. And so, like, that was our normal. You know, um, people would bang on our door at, like, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and we would just, like, freeze in the living room, and we wouldn't move. And that was, like, normal. Like, that was completely normal to me. Like, I wasn't frightful. I was just like, yeah, everybody, this is how everybody lives. This is this is just what it is. Like, this is my life. And I didn't have anything to compare it to. Cause so there's no reference for what normal was or wasn't. That, yeah, That was normal. Everybody goes through that. Grew up in Essex, just so there's some comparison there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, so so you grew up in Dundalk, which by no means are we saying that if you grew up in Dundalk, it's got to be a rough childhood. It's just the neighborhood down there is um, full of character. So you you come from you, you move over to Dundalk fairly young with your parents. Are your parents in Christ at that time? Are they raising you in Christ? Yeah they 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 had they they didn't get saved until they were about 35. They got radically saved, filled you know the whole get up. Uh, at an Assemblies of God church, and they just, they went all in, along with my grand, my mom's parents, who had lived their whole life, and he was, you know, big in alcohol and, you know, whatever, and he was, you know, one of those angry alcohol drinkers. Nobody liked it when he would grab a beer. Um, but yeah, they all radically got saved, like literally all in the same night at a church. So was that prior to you existing or post Yeah, that was that was prior. Okay, so you got raised by some pretty radically transformed Christians. They were the real deal. Like, they were totally legit. My dad, you know, he kind of went off the compound a little bit. And so we, we had moved to the eastern shore, and then we were living in this little place in Kent County called Chestertown. Beautiful place, a lot of history. Love that place. Um, and it was probably around, I was about around seven between seven and 10 years old, my dad kind of went through like this depression or this rut and we had stopped going to church altogether. And, um, anyway, so that went down. And then, um, my mom and my sister, they knew that they needed to get back in church. They were not satisfied. And they're like, we're going to go to, we're going to go to church. And my dad and I, we were just sitting there in our under underwear watching, you know, reruns of WWF, you know, wrestling and just <laughs> that dates it too. doing guys. Change it to E. Yeah, it's okay. WWF is the best. It was for life. Um, so we were just sitting there and we were in a rut. We were in this routine and, you know, whatever. We were watching wrestling, playing outside, whatever. And my mom being the strong woman that, uh, she is, she says, I'm going to go to, we're going to go to church. And so is, and so is, you know, your, your daughter or in my case, my sister. And so they went to this church in Centerville in Queen Anne's County and they enjoyed it. And then the next week we came back. And we just kept on going, and that was my home church in Centerville. And um, and so it was really cool. Um, and so, you know, 
we're just going there and doing our thing. And then one day, um, I was 10 years old and my parent, my dad was right with God and he had accepted Christ and they were, they were walking that straight and narrow. And then when I was 10, I was just, you know, overwhelmed with uh, emotion. And, uh, I had this thing, I had this thing where every night, just about every night I would have a nightmare. And I had this dream where some man was chasing me and catch, trying to catch me. And it was always a struggle. And it was, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but it was like a reoccurring nightmare. And I didn't want to go to sleep because mm. it was very scary. It was very real. Yeah, it's rough at 10, too, to not want to sleep. So um, there was a lot of times where I would, I would, you know, crawl in my mom's room, mom and dad's room, and then I would try to crawl in between the bed if they would let me or they would make me sleep at the end of the bed. But I didn't have a, this one time I didn't have a bad dream. I just was just a normal, just a normal night. But I woke up in the middle of the night. It was very, I was very emotional. And um, we had to get up early the next morning because our church on the shore, I don't know if they do it around here, but they have what's called a fish fry. And we're from the Eastern shore. You know, we eat rockfish, we catch them, we eat crabs. We, you know, we're Maryland, you know. Yeah, man, of course. Represent. Um, so we we're going to have this big fish fry. It was a fundraiser um, to raise money for the church. And so we had to get up there really early to set up and everything. And I just remember waking up super early. It was still dark. And I was so emotional and I just wanted, you know, I've been in Sunday school my whole life and done that whole deal. But, you know, I was going to church, but I wasn't saved. I was going to church, but I didn't have a relationship. And, it, you know, it's kind of like someone says, you know, you know, if if going to church makes you saved, then that means if you stand in a garage, that makes you a car. Like, that's not reality. Okay. There's a lot of people going to hell that are, Going to church on Sunday, every Sunday, scream at somebody in the parking lot when they leave. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven. So anyway, it was probably like two or three in the morning. I am crying my eyes out in my room. Just pathetic. I was just so pathetic. And I just knew I needed Jesus. And, you know, you're thinking, here I am 10 years old. How much sinning have I done? (laughs) How bad could I be that I'm just this little boy? that needs a savior. But that's exactly what I was. I was this little boy and I just felt like I was this messing up royally, which I really wasn't. But you know, that's all I had to compare to, you know, everything's a big deal when it's, when it's your life. And so, um, I remember, you know, going in the room and my mom and dad are thinking that I've had a nightmare again, but I'm like, I crawl in between the two of them and I'm bawling my eyes out like a little wuss. And, uh, my, my mom's like, hey, she's always calming and compassionate. She's like, are you okay? And I was like, I, I, I want I want Jesus. I want Jesus in my heart. And my dad, my mom shakes my dad, and he's one of those, you know, you shake him and he, like, jumps and screams and hollers. And what? Who? <laughs> where? <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of those guys, yeah. And so it, it was kind of like one of those. It was a little bit more subdued. He did good that time. And my mom's like, Ross, Ross, you know, you know, Todd, you know, Todd does, he wants Jesus to come in his heart. And then my mom's like, why don't you lead your son to Jesus? So literally in the middle of the night at 10 years old, I'm snotting, boohooing and all that. My dad leads me to Christ right there in between my mom and dad in their bed. That's um, a pretty ridiculously cool story. I love it, man. You know, it's nothing like, you know, I shot somebody and I was on death row or anything. I, I haven't lived that life. 
Um, and um, but that was how that was kind of how it started for me as far as having a personal relationship. And you know, my dad is is my hero, was my hero, still is. And um, so that was a really special moment that my dad was able to lead me to Christ. Like, you know, my father led me to my heavenly father. Yeah, and that's, I just like, ridiculous. Uh, you know, so I just, I love it. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful for that, that history, that legacy, the, uh, you know, that my dad was there for me. It means a lot to me because a lot of people can't say that. And so yeah. I'm grateful. I'm very grateful. A lot of people, the damaged relationship with their father is what prompted their, um, either some of the misgivings they went through or, you know, them pursuing Christ. Not, I, I don't know anybody who can say, I've never met somebody who says like, yeah, my relationship with Christ started with my earthly father and led to my spiritual heavenly father. Like that, that's ridiculously cool. Yeah. And I mean, by far my, my dad was not perfect. I mean, one of the things that I had issues with is I had a, a really serious anger issue. Um, one time I, I tried to kill my sister literally. Um, oh. yeah. And you wouldn't, you know, you, you only know me as, as who I am today. Like, I don't know you as. Yeah. If left field was over here, that came from like farther on this side. So, so that's a transition. So don't cross me, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. I hear you paint houses. Um, so, so mafia joke there. Um, so we we're going to have to talk about this now. So is this pre 10 year old salvation or post 10 year old salvation? Uh, this was pre. I was, okay, I was hoping so. <laughs> Okay, so unpack the story here. Statue of Limitations is done. She's alive, obviously. <laughs> she lives in another state. It's okay. Um, I guess so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Restraining order. <laughs> what, what, like this? No, this is legitimate. So th this talks about I mean, you say when you say all joking aside. I was ten. How bad could it be? You were struggling with something. <laughs> I had anger. I was raging. Yeah, you were really struggling with something there. Yeah. So. One of the things I noticed was my dad, he had really high highs and he had really low lows. And um, he he could not control his temper. Um, and so, you know, if he got upset, you know, he was slamming doors and yelling and running around like a like a big old baby, honestly. And then he would slam the door and he'd go to his room and sleep for a couple hours and then come back out. And then he would just begin to apologize to my sister or to me or to my mom. And just say how sorry he was. And it just got really old. But that was the model that I saw. That was what my dad did. And I always wanted to be like my dad. So watch what you ask for. Um, and so I had this anger build up. And I don't know why. But I had all this aggression. And, you know, I would, I was trying to stab my sister. Tried to stab her several times. Um, I would, I remember, you know, when we lived in Dundalk. You know, we had, we're living in a row home, and I remember standing at, like, the stairwell, like, halfway, like, kind of looking out into the living room. And I remember, you know, shouting at the top of my lungs, you know, to my parents, you know, I wish you all were dead and things like that. Like, I've never said stuff like that, you know, since then. Um, but, you know, that was what was in me. And I remember going, my mom and dad were very concerned for me, obviously. Concerned for yeah, my sister, yeah, too. Concerned for the household. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've. Try to kill my sister, and I wish my parents were dead, which is so crazy because that's not me. Um, that wasn't like me. But I remember going to a, a psychiatrist, which I wasn't proud of. But I went there, and I remember 
mom bringing really nice convenience food from Wawa's, which was a big deal. And then uh, I would sit there with a psychiatrist and we would play Candyland together. Okay. Candyland changed my life. Candyland changed your life. So, you know, we would do that and we would play and she would ask me questions, which I didn't even, it didn't even register in my mind because I'm just like, hey, I'm eating like this really good hot dog from Wawa's, some pretzels, whatever. And I get to play games. Yeah, ask me whatever. And play games. I I didn't even know that she was asking. I think that's the same way that cops interrogate people. When they suspect of a crime, they bring them in some like hot food to coffee and they're like, let's just talk. And they're like, oh, that's wrong. Yeah, so (laughs) I got played. She got in my head and it was a good thing. And, um, you know, then I was fine from then on. I haven't tried to kill anybody yet. That's great. We're taking note. <laughs> We're taking note. No, but it's important that you bring that up because some people talk about, like my wife's got um, not a similar story on that side, <laughs> but my wife's got a similar story as far as um, like a young salvation goes. Like she's like, I don't remember how old I was, maybe six or seven, and she accepted Christ. Yeah. Um, I think like in the bathroom at church or something. <laughs> Just yeah. But like she's got that young salvation story, and I think too often – when you have a young salvation story, people are quick to write it off as, um, oh, okay, great. Well, you really didn't have any issues, and, and your, your testimony is prever, uh, preservation, not um, provocation. So you're like um, like uh, a really good friend of mine. His testimony is he never was into the drugs, the alcohol, any of that stuff. God kept him from all of it. You know, So he had an amazing upbringing, and that's his testimony. My testimony is if there was a cliff, I jumped off the edge. And God delivered me from that. So I'm on the other extreme. But I think it's so important when you bring up, like, I don't think we give uh, salvation at a young age enough credit because you kids are going through stuff, man. And it's, the Bible says that the human heart is desperately wicked who can know its depths. Like, when we don't have Christ, there's some crazy stuff that comes out of us. And just, like, I don't know, I think we... We had two recent salvations two weeks ago here that were in the the kids program, like they're they're kids, and we don't give that enough attention because that radically changed your life. You were dealing with stuff. People are like you're ten, you don't pay taxes, you don't have a life, you don't have a wife, you don't have kids. Like no, but there are serious stuff these kids are going through, and so you got a real testimony of of from that to that. Like that's a big swing, man. I mean, where would you have been if it had been another ten or fifteen years you didn't have Christ? It's true, and you know, I'm thankful for my parents because um, I don't know if I didn't have that type of structure and that that support. You know, who knows if I would even be here today? Probably still live in Dundalk. Um, so, hey, I love you, Dundalk. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, Jimmy's Jimmy's famous seafood in Dundalk. I'm loving Jimmy's. But I think, um, you know, for a long time, and I know I'm kind of jumping the gun, but it's all good. I think for a long time, though, you know, you hear stories of people. Like, I remember at church, you know, there would be different people that would come and speak from, like, Teen Challenge or different things. They would bring a group of those guys and gals out, and they would talk about their testimonies. And those testimonies of, like, how it's almost like this big old thing where it's, like, how screwed up I was or how many people I killed or how many times did I overdose or whatever. And it really is, like, amazing, and it captivates you. Like, I love hearing those stories. I won't lie. I love it. I love, love, love hearing it. But then what it happens is it almost makes it like, so then when if you're the type of person that really hasn't lived a wild life per se, as the world would think it, or as a Christian would think it, then it's kind of like you don't really have a testimony. It's just like really boring. Like, so you really haven't experienced life. And I felt that way for a long time. 
And someone says, you know, tell me your testimony. And I was like, I pretty much grew up in the church my whole life. Didn't really do anything crazy. Didn't really experiment with too much other than girls, women. And that was it. Um, and, you know, I always didn't, I didn't really feel good about my testimony because it's like, I don't have anything to talk about. There's nothing to talk about. And I remember, um, I think it was a pastor of mine years, years ago. He says, actually, he says, you have one of the most amazing testimonies. He says, because God kept you. And also you had opportunities where you could have strayed away, but you didn't. He says, so you, you kind of prevented from and saved yourself from a lot of pain and a lot of suffering that other people had to struggle their way out of that you didn't even go into. And he says, so you have one of the best testimonies because you stayed away from it when you had the opportunity to go into it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't know if I'm buying what you're selling, but it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just, I'm grateful. And I don't wish, I don't wish to be like, man, I wish I did some crazy stuff when I was younger because it would just be so powerful. Like everybody has their own testimony. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, Andrew, you're going to be able to minister to people from your your life to where you are now, to where you came from and everything, your life experiences. There's going to be people that you're going to be able to minister to that um, I simply won't be able to reach and vice versa. You know, it's just, it's just the way God has us and on, on our own individual path, you know? Yeah. Just think like the, I go back to thinking about the kids, like you're talking to a group of, of, you know, under 18 kids, wherever you put them on that underside, you know, 16, 10, 12, 11, whatever. And they're going through some real things. So, if I were to stand up in front of them and I'm like, man, all these drugs I was into and all this and all that and the stealing and the I left that guy for dead and just the crazy stories, the cops surrounded the place I was in and we had to camp out there all night long and they shuttled us out in cars. Like all of that, none of that does anything for the, for the 10 year old kid. That's like, what, what, what was the name of that drug? What is that? It doesn't do anything for them. But for you to be able to stand in front of somebody and say, I was so mad. I was so angry at my parents. I had this thing inside, like that resonates with a whole group of people that I just think, I think it's powerful in a different way. It's, it's a, it's just so unique. And the testimony of, like you said, people who have testimony like mine, like here's all this craziness I was into. Yeah. That, that sounds great to put on a headline on a you know Friday night, but testimonies are to remind people that God did it for me and he's no respecter of person. So he'll do it for you. So how powerful is it? Um, yeah, yeah, it's great to hear that God will preserve people. Like, I'll, 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 I'll rescue you out of this. I'll take you out of the sin and everything you've chosen me into. But how much more powerful to me that you don't even have to go through that? Because I think people get caught up in it. They're like, he says, be holy as I'm holy. And people are like, yeah. Like, no, God calls us to holiness. He calls us to live a certain way. And it's possible. When we hear people have testimony like, you like, I accepted Christ at 10, and he kept me away from all the stuff. And I want to get into kind of switching gears. I want to get into what was it like when you faced those temptations in high school and wherever else you faced them, and how did Christ give you the guidance through them? You know, what were the nudges that you listened to, or just how did that happen? But there's such power in just someone being able to say, hi, um, my testimony is God kept me. And it's like, okay, well, if he did that for you, then somebody else who is struggling to keep on the straight and narrow is like, man, you know what? If he can keep them, he can keep me too. I just think there's such power in it because it's not something I hear all the time. My testimony is God kept me. I don't know how he did that because I was off the rails. 
you know, so like how, how, what was it like, you know, 10 that happens, but you went to a public school, right? Yeah. I went to public school my whole life. I mean, you didn't go to Dundalk high school, but you went to, you went to a public school and I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not saint like, no, it's not, but it's just like, I just ran with a different crew. I honestly didn't have that many friends. I was honestly kind of like a loner. I had really, I really hated school. Like I was like, I can't wait till I graduate school. Because I don't like I don't like the people. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to live in a fast life or anything. And so I was just ready to graduate. I just like I can't wait to graduate so I can go to work and just do me, do my own thing. Um, I had very I was very low in self esteem. You wouldn't probably notice that now. I'm I'm very much of a social butterfly and very very outgoing. My my, my mantra is basically everybody is my friend. I just haven't met them yet. That's kind of the way that that's I, incredible. That's kind of the way that I look at my life. People, my kids will be like, "Do you know that person?" And I'll be like, "No, I, I just do now. I just <laughs> met him." Like, but you were like having this full blown like engaged conversation. I was like, "Yeah, that's what I do." Like, let my wings out. Yeah, but <laughs> my whole my whole school life, I was had very I was bullied a lot, low self esteem, whatever. I I had very low self worth of myself, and. um but it wasn't until I graduated school and then I was out in the workforce and I realized none of these people here at my job really care about what I do, what I say, what I think. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't really care what they have to say or what they think or whatever. And I don't mean in an arrogant or cocky way, but it made me realize it was like, you know what, I can, I'm just going to be myself because it doesn't matter what other people think about me. And when I and it took me graduating high school to realize I don't I don't care what other people think about me. I'm just going to be myself. And that's when my true personality came out to where I'm like, I'm just really outgoing. and I just love people when I stopped worrying about what other people thought of me. And it was like literally one of the most liberating feelings in my life. And literally my personality changed. So like people that I went to school with, if they were to meet me today, they would be like, man, you're like a totally different person. Like it was like I had two personalities, yeah, but I did. Yeah. I suppressed that because I felt like I was less than I had like self-limiting beliefs because people, when I was in school, you know, they, I was, I was very overweight. I was just a sweaty, you know, nasty little kid. And so I was always the last one picked on the kickball or whatever. To, you know, it was just one of those things. And to think where I am now where it's like, I don't think that way. Like I think I can do whatever I, whatever I set my mind to do. I do it like it's crazy. So where did that revelation of your, we'll call that an identity revelation. You know, like it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what they say. My identity is in Christ. Like where did that revelation come from? You're talking about out of high. Cause I think I, I share the same opinion. Like if I had that revelation in high school, my high school experience would have been so much different if I, cause so many of my decisions, I did the opposite. So you were, um, you just kind of stayed to yourself in a little reserved way because people's opinions, what they said, they hurt. And it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to be reserved. I did the the worst thing, which is opposite. And I was like, oh, people's opinions hurt. Let me make sure they like me. Right. So like I, I'll, I'll, I show up to the party late with a bottle of vodka. And I'm like, I'll go shot for shot with whoever to catch up. And they're like, yeah, Jay's here. Like that was, you know, I was always, how can I energize the crowd? I'll do whatever, be whatever to be liked. Yeah, you were a people pleaser. I was just, man, I will do anything to be the life of the party. That way, when the night's over, even if it was something crazy, like he woke up outside without his pants, which was a thing. 
Um, like <laughs> sophomore in high school. Um, dad, you drove me to that party. You knew, you knew something was up. Um, just like that was my, if I could have had that revelation that what these people think doesn't matter, what they say doesn't matter. What matters is your core values and what are you going to live your life out to be? Why do you live your life out to be anything at all? Like just that dialogue would have been so powerful for me when I was in high school. So where did you get that revelation from coming out of high school or as you graduated? Like where did that, it was, was it an aha moment one day or? Yeah. I mean, it really was. Um, so when I grew up, when I grew up, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to run a printing press, uh, large printing presses. My dad did it. Like I said, a lot of my identity was wanting to be like my dad. My dad, you know, he graduated Mergenthaler and they had the whole like printing press department, whatever. And my dad did that when he was in school. I did that when I was in school, graphic design. I love That's art. That's wild. And so when I went to the school in, on the Eastern Shore, they had a, they had printing presses and dark rooms and all the stuff. So I was running these little printing presses in high school, and I loved it. Um, and so I was determined that when I graduate, that was my dream job. And I was able to work something out with um, – this place uh, on the Eastern shore that, that did printing uh, for like, you know, government work, government forms and other different types of jobs for big, big top, you know, fortune 500 companies that you would know printing documents and different things, advertisements for them. And so I, I said, you know, I want to put together some sort of internship or something like my track wasn't college. I knew, I knew what my career was. And I knew I didn't need to go to college for it. I didn't need to go in debt for it. Preach it, man. I could go right into doing what my dream job was. And so here I was a junior in high school, and I was going to that printing facility that I wanted to get. And I went to HR, and I talked to them, and I said, you know, I would like to do some sort of internship or something in my senior year. And I worked with my career counselor. She just was like, wow, you're, like, doing my job. Because I was, because I knew what I wanted and what I want, I get. Okay. And I don't mean in a cocky way. No, it's a, it's a mindset. I'm setting my mind on what I want. Yeah. You know? And so I sat down with HR. I ended up meeting with the president of the company. And we worked out something so that in my senior year, it wasn't an internship. It's what's called a co-op. Co-op is basically you're getting paid to learn. Sat down. The president said, that chair's mine now. Look at me. I am the captain now. Yeah. <laughs> I am the captain and this is my ship. <laughs> no, but... I didn't really say it like that, but it kind of was like that. And so <laughs> I, here I was, you know, senior year, you know, I had like two, my two first period classes, which were a joke. We did that. And then I would get in my car, we'd travel like 30, 35 minutes to Centerville. And then from the rest of the day into the afternoon, I would do that all year. So I was like, I had like my old little side gig all year. And I was getting trained by these guys that had been running these big printing presses 20, 30 years. So say all that, say the end of my senior year, it's like April, almost May, I'm about to graduate. And the HR pulls me aside. The president comes in, sits me down one afternoon after I've worked, you know, for the better part of the day there with them on during school time. And, um, you know, Miss, Mr. Uh, his name is Art. Mr. Art, he offered me a job. He says, you know, we'd like you to come work with us full time and, uh, you know, be a, you know, work, train more and, you know, to work under uh, so that you can also maybe be a pressman, uh, you know, when you graduate high school. And I was like, I am living my dream. So so I graduated high school, and then a week later I was working full-time, working on night shift, 
training by some of the best guys in the business. And, you know, shortly thereafter, I was running my own press. And, you know, I've got like a, depending on which press I was running on, because there was multiple ones, but these presses ran anywhere between three to $5 million a piece. Wow. And so here I am, barely 18, running a three, four, five million yeah, dollar running millions press. of dollars in revenue, yeah. And I'm running one of those big, crazy pieces of equipment. And here I'm 18. And then I've got four people that are working on me that were part of the bindery that would be at the end of the line that would be banding the different things that would get collated and everything and get all split up and cut up. And, that, and most of them are like in their 60s. And I'm like, I'm 18 years old. And I've got like four like old dudes or old ladies that are at the end of it. And they could care less about me. And it was basically standing there in that press. And I've got this big control table with all these knobs and doohickeys and all these buttons that I'm controlling. And I know exactly what to do. And I realized none of these people at the end of that line really care about me. And no one really cares. They're just living their life. They're doing their thing. And I was just like, I don't care. I don't care what they think about me. And they don't care about and then that and that was literally when my personality like changed right there at the printing press. And I have never looked back. Yeah, that that's life altering. Like just just the reality check that you exist here for your purpose. And by your purpose, I mean as Christians, we my purpose is to serve Christ, but God has a purpose for me, for my life here. God has a purpose for for my wife and I as a unit to have become one, to become one flesh. There is a purpose and anointing a plan for our lives, but ultimately that's what we're here for. We're here for that plan to come to pass so that we can play our part and our part will involve other people and touching other people's lives. And, but but it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing with their life because comparison is a very dangerous tool of the enemy. None of that stuff matters. What matters is that today I live in alignment with the word of God and the purposes of God for my life, being led by the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And like just that revelation at the printing press, like all this, and just, you know what? They don't care, and it's okay. Like just that's that's incredible at such a young age to have that. It was liberating. And like I said, my whole personality changed, and I became like this very, I don't know, flamboyant person, big personality. I'm just excited about life. And, you know, I really started to be in a lot like my mom and my dad, which is just very, a very compassionate person. Um, the thing that I would say that my sister and myself and my parents have, if there was a, a quality about us Carters is we like to encourage people. We like to encourage them. We want to speak life into them and, you know, make them realize that they have potential, they have worth and that you know, that they are difference makers and that, that, you know, they exist for a reason and that God has a plan for them. And that's that's kind of been the common thread or theme through our family. My sister's the same way, my mom and my dad. You know, we're all the same when it comes to that. We just want to encourage people. A family of exhorters. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you have this revelation. You're working this dream job. Um, at what point does Mr. Carter, which... Uh, it was a really good hip hop song, not good anymore, but pretty popular hip hop song back in the day, Mr. Carter. Uh, but so, so when does uh, Mr. Carter go from being a single man to no longer being a single man? And I'm not talking about the um, the less than your amazing anointed wife is. I'm talking about like when when does your wife come in the picture? Well, honestly, not 
too long after I was working at the printing company and um, making a ton of money because I was still living at mom and dad's house, had a brand new pickup truck. That smile was genuine. You just flashed <laughs> back to that. You were like, plenty. <laughs> I did. I mean, I was, I was working for the weekend as the song would say. Tell, um, tell me about the truck. It was, I mean, it was just a GMC Sonoma, nothing fancy, but it was fancy to me. It was brand new. My mom and dad had never owned a brand new vehicle in their life. That's a big deal. At and that here age I am too. at 18 and I had a brand new pickup and, you know, I was washing it constantly. 30 times a day. Yeah. Pretty much. And, you know, I just had spray that would just, just spray the pollen off. I had all the special body work stuff. I mean, I've just loaded a unloading a bunch of money on just keeping the truck perfect. Oh, no, I get it. It's a it's an Essex Dundalk thing. Like, if you got something nice, you wash it 30 times a day and park it out front. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that the tires are turned at the right angle. It's just, it's got to look perfect. You know, park at the very back of the parking lot. Yeah, exactly, 50, exactly. 50 miles to the front door of the store or whatever. You'd still come out with the ding on your door anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> Somebody ran out to it. Just a mess. But, yeah, um, that was the truck, and uh, I loved it. Beautiful blue color. Um so I was doing that, still playing music, uh, play the drums. I've been playing since I was 15, making a, making a racket. And um, so I was going to this church in Centerville, the church that I started going when we moved to the Eastern Shore. And we weren't, we weren't supposed to, I'll put it this way, my life was pathetic. I was single at the time, just got over a relationship with a girl that I was engaged to. Most people don't know that I was engaged. Why are your eyes so big? Yeah. I just didn't know that. There That's was, why my eyes are big. There was a life pre, you know, pre Denise. Um, Probably a terrible one anyway. It really was. But um, I was with a girl, you know, four years, high school sweethearts, whatever, and um, didn't work out. And um, I mean, she had the ring on her finger and everything. But um, so it was over. I was I was devastated. I was crushed. And I remember there was a lady. There was an old mother of the church, as uh, some people say. The mother of the church, her name was Sister Frances Lewis. That's a mother of the church name. Yeah. And, you know, she is just she was just the anchor at our church. And I remember after that whole relationship had ended, I remember her coming up to me. And she was a short lady. You know, she was probably four foot eleven, maybe, maybe less. And she had arthritis in her hands, so her fingers were all, like, all curved down. And I remember her with her, like, curved index finger, putting her finger right in my face. And, he's, and she says, Todd, she says, if you put um, your focus on Jesus and focus your relationship on God, Mrs. Wright will walk right in front of you. Three months later, three months later, um, my, uh, we... I was with, hanging out with my dad, and I had nowhere to be. You know, I wasn't with my fiance anymore because we broke it off. And my dad, <laughs> Saturday morning, says, "Hey, the new food lion in Centerville is opened up, and we've got to go run to the dump to drop." You know, we could we didn't have local trash pickup. We're in the country, so you got to take everything to the dump. So he says, "I'm going to run to the <laughs> dump." After we run to the dump. I was thinking about going to food line and do some grocery grocery shop. My dad loves a grocery shop. I don't know why, but he did. So he's like, you want to go, son? And he was like so like bubbly and optimistic. You want to go to the grocery store opening with me? <laughs> and I was just thinking at that moment like um, how like pathetic my life was. 
It's definitely an Eastern Shore thing. You're excited for the grocery store opening. No, uh, but I, I wasn't excited about it. And my dad, he's from Highland Town, okay? So he's a city boy. So anyway, I was like, sure, Dad, what I got to lose. Nothing else going on today. <laughs> so we load the stuff up in the back of my nice, perfect pickup, put all the trash in the back, and then we run to the dump, and then we go to Centerville, and we're there, and we're walking out of the grocery store, and as we're walking out, the pastor of the church at the time in Centerville that we went to, um, he he was a really good singer, and his brother uh, was a was was the worship pastor, and he says uh, the pastor's there, and he says, "Hey, Todd," and he was like from the South, so he had like this really big Southern accent. He's like, "Hey, Todd," he says, "You're going to be at the uh, at the concert, you know, at at two o'clock or whatever." And I was like, "What?" Well, the worship leader, worship pastor, his brother never told me that we were asked to play at like this big outdoor event where there was going to be a radio station. We were, we, our worship band was asked to come and play live and it would be on the back of the flatbed of the truck and the radio station was recording and. Oh my gosh. Hundreds of people were going to be there and everything. Talk about last minute. I hope you have them parroted already. And I was like, right. And I was like, oh snap. And so here we are like 40 minutes from the house. I haven't gotten cleaned up. You know, we just left the dump. We just did the grocery store. I've got to run back home, turn back around, then pick up the drum kit at the church and then head another 15 minutes down the road up to like Ken Island. You're a little short on time there. I didn't have any time. So I had to, you know, push that GMC to the limit. And so I did it and I was like, gosh. So I get there, we get to the event, I set up and then there was this, um, it was called Inner Fire Drama Team from Easton Church of My God. Well, it's Easton Church of God, but I just say because a friend of mine says Easton Church of My God. And there was this lady named Denise. And she was, this was back when, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Master's Commission, and they were doing all these human videos. I don't know if you remember human videos. Okay. But it was just a lot of drama acting to music. So anyway... She's there, and she is the leader of this drama team from the Eastern Church of God, which is about 30 minutes from my, my church in Centerville. And she comes up, and she's standing there, and she says, you know, we're getting ready to do this human video, and she's explaining what you know a little bit about what's about to happen. And she says, you know, but before we start, I want to read some scripture, and, um, and then we're going to begin. And I just thought she was so attractive. And I was just like, dude, to me, there was nothing more sexy than a woman that is like reading scripture and she loves God and she is hot, 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 hot. So I was very attracted to her. And so she does her thing, her and her, her other girls on the drama team, and they just crushed it. And I was not a player. I didn't have any good pickup lines. I just got up, got up, got off a relationship that literally destroyed me. And I was just was like amazed by her. And I went up to her and I say, Hey, um, you know, that was a really good drama, whatever. I was like, you know, I'd like to get your number and then maybe sometime we can hang out. And Andrew, guess what she did? She gave you her number. She gave me. <laughs> Which is like the, the I, I it's it's only a God thing that she gave you the number. I could see you walk, hey, those were some really nice scriptures. Can I get your phone number and we can talk well, I didn't say it, I didn't say it like that, but it was probably equal. <laughs> I was just, trying to I was trying to be really cool, really suave, but it was so know. bold. Really it was bold. not, it was out of my character because I'm not a, like, I don't have a pickup line. I don't have a, a little black book. I don't have any of that. 
And so I just like, you know, I'd like to hang out maybe sometime, you know, maybe grab your number. So she gave me her number, which was amazing. And then we set up for the next Friday to hang out. And we went to the mall on the Western shore because in the Eastern shore, there's nothing good there. You got to travel like an hour to get to anything cool. And so we traveled, you know, went to Arundel Mills and we hung out there. And we did that pretty much like every Friday or Saturday, went to the movies or I took her out to eat. And that's when the money started to dry up because I was taking her out constantly, which was fine. And so literally, if you look at the timeline, I literally met and married her in under 11 months, which is very fast um, considering that, you know, here it is, what was it, March 25th, 2022 today. And in July, it'll be 20 years that we've been married. That's crazy. You guys got married at like 10. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. I was, I think at the time when we got married, I was 21 and she was 20, but to most people that was really young, but we just knew um, we had been in a lot of relationships with her and I. And it was just something different. We knew it was set apart. We knew it was a God thing. Um, so we didn't even technically date. It was more like a, a courtship. We had kind of based it off of a book. Um, and it really kind of laid the foundation as far as, you know, Denise really felt like it was of the Lord that we would read this book together. And um, so we kind of did it chapter by chapter over a period of time. And then by the time we got to the last chapter, um, I realized it's like, I need to marry. She literally checks all the boxes. I need to marry this girl before she realizes she's making a bad decision. And I was successful. So, And it's funny because she'll walk right in front of you. And she literally walked right in front of you to come up and do all the stuff on the stage. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's what Sister Lewis said happened. And she was right. And that in that three month time, I really did focus my relationship on God because here I'd just come from a four year relationship where that that individual is as wonderful as she was. She did not come from a family that was raised in the church. Her her mom and dad got separated when she was little. You know, her mom and uh, her mom's boyfriend lived in the same house. And I would just say, her and the the young lady that I was engaged to and and me, we did a lot of things that we shouldn't have done that I regret to this day. Um, but because it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing to her or her father, or her mother. And so it wasn't It wasn't encouraged, but it wasn't denied either. Yeah, there were, it wasn't, it wasn't um, restricted. Right, so that was my weakness. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't in the drugs. I wasn't in the alcohol. You know, I wasn't running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I just really liked my girlfriend. Like, <laughs> that was my weakness, women. It's oh, all, man. It's, 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 it's the woman's fault. It's just so fun. Yeah, it's that woman you gave me. It's funny because I um so Hannah and I have a really similar testimony for us getting married and all. Like we, I was, Lord, I'm lonely. I um, am very thankful that you made women, and I'm a single Christian guy. So, could you send me a wife? Like, yesterday, and he was just silent. And I'm. This is at a time where right after I got saved, the first like year or so, and God's like audibly speaking to me quite frequently. And I'm like, for him to be silent on something is very odd. And I'm asking, I'm asking, and people around me would like, like, you just need to focus on you. And I'm like, that's something I want to hear. You need to focus on you. I'm like, Arr. and finally I got it. And I was like, you know what? I strived for like a year, year and a half. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to invest in what you want to do, Lord, what your plan is, what do you have for my life? And everything else will come. And then like a week later, a guy named Jason Taylor at Life Source was like, I was in the parking lot looking at his car, talking to him about something. And he said, uh, 
I said something about, yeah, I'm just waiting for my wife to come along. He's like, well, I think she might be on stage right in front of you. You don't realize it. And I'm like, what? I was like, who? And he's like, he, he almost like he didn't realize he had said it. And he was like, oh, uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not saying that. Don't go, don't go, don't do, don't go do anything crazy. And I'm like, well, who are you talking about? He's like, Hannah. And I'm like, Hannah who? He's like, she's on the worship team. And I was like, isn't she married? Because everyone else on the worship team was married. So I thought you had to be married to be on the worship team. And he's like, don't, don't, don't go do nothing weird or crazy. Like I didn't, I, I'm not, I'm, that's not a prophetic word for you. So I was like, whatever. And I just, I just threw it out of my mind. Yeah. Well, then Hannah has a testimony like yours, like very out of our character, but she came up and asked me out and come to find out like they had been trying to plot getting us together for like a year on the worship team side. Um, she asked me out and after the first date, it was like, I just, I was, there's just something that clicked and I was like, I, this is, this is different. So we didn't really date. We went on like two or three dates and then it was basically a courtship. Like I think we, we went on two dates. Um, she asked to be my girlfriend and I was like, if you ask me to marry you, we're going to fight. Like you can't, you can't, you ask me out and you asked for us to date. This is a problem. Um, and then we date, we must be like three weeks into dating and I knew and I bought a ring and I went to ask her parents. So we got, uh, we went on our first date, um, January 20th. We got engaged in May and married in October of the same year. Because when you know, you know, you and the best advice that I was ever given, and you'll relate to this so well, the best advice I was ever given, and I know you'll testify, if you know, the longer you wait, the bigger door you open to temptation. Like if you know, you know, and there's some of the closest people to us, our best friends to this day, um, I really give her and her husband credit, re really the woman, um, because she's a great woman of God. And she was like, Y'all don't need to like tempt the issues that exist there. Like if you know, you know, go get married because then you can do all of that under the covering of marriage and the Lord mm -hmm. rather than like, Oh, we're going to try to wait a year or two before we get married. And if you know, and you're comfortable, go do it because you're playing with fire and things that are difficult to, no matter how many gates you set up as humans, we tend to hop those gates, especially guys to try. <laughs> it's rough. You know what I mean? Oh man. Trust me, I know. Like what you're saying is why we got married so quick. Cause it's the same thing we did. Denise was in school, um, and so I was like, "She's like, either we can wait until another year until I finish school, or we can get married, you know, now." And you were like, "Right now, like at the Seven Eleven, we get a certificate." <laughs> <laughs> they do those at the Seven Eleven. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> thought I had to go to the courthouse, but okay, that's good to know. Take notes, guys. Seven Eleven. Um, no, but I was just like I. I physically can't wait a whole year or I will sin. I literally yeah. will sin. And I was like, so let's, let's get married. Yeah. And so we did. Now it's such a smart decision. It's such a cool, it, it's just cool that you guys are so open about that because we've done the same thing. Just you don't, don't, don't rush into something that's not of the Lord, but also don't, don't tempt yourself like that. Like it's, it's not worth it if you two are committed to the same purposes and the same reasons. Well, and it's like, if you know, you know, and this is certainly not the standard. Uh, one of my biggest mentors in life, his name's Dave Scheuer. He's a, he's a preacher in Maryland, pastor. And he's like been in many ways, like my best friend, my father, uh, mentor, big brother, kind of all wrapped in one. And he, he had, was an integral part in me and Denise meeting because he was my youth pastor, but then God called him, called him from Centerville to Easton. And then he was basically kind of like Denise's, youth pastor towards the end, even though she was kind of like 18 already and kind of grown. But he was actually the one that actually married me and Denise. And he had an integral part as far as us in our relationship. And we didn't even really realize it. Um, 
But, you know, just realizing that with him, he met and married his wife in like five weeks. And he would always, you know, he was my youth pastor and he was like, he was never encouraged. And he's like, guys, like, don't like, no five week don't marriages. use me as a standard. <laughs> yeah. This is not normal. And I tell people the same thing, but I do say, you know, if you know that, you know. Yeah. We, we had signs like, like not only did I have confirmation in my spirit and she did, we had physical signs from the Lord and other people. So like it just, it like, like from the Lord and from the Lord through people, you know what I mean? So we, yeah. we knew that it was a thing. And I, like you, had been engaged once before. Um, I proposed on National News on 34th Street a couple of, uh, I won't say what year, because you can go back and find the news yeah, clip still. hold on. Let me take notes here. <laughs> yeah. So when is the, what, what day was <laughs> yeah, it? Uh-huh, what year? Uh-huh. Yeah, but I proposed on National News on 34th Street on Christmas Eve. What, what channel was it on? It made Fox News. I won't say which Fox News. But it made Fox News. Fox 45? Paul Gessler covered it. If you'd like to look him up, okay. he is, well, he's still a reporter. How Paul do you spell Gessler. his last name? Okay. G U, keep looking. <laughs> Gessler. <laughs> but uh, no, it was national news. And um, I proposed her on national news. She said yes. Everything was all exciting. I've been dating her for a while. And then uh, that's part of my testimony. But I, um, I found out the same day that I lost my job and gotten a whole bunch of issues uh, court wise for the first time because we've been I'd, out being dumb with a bunch of younger guys. I had those two things happen, and in that same day, I was I was dealing with a lot that day. Um, I found out the girl I proposed to on national news was pregnant by her ex she was cheating on me with. Oh, yeah, so that, that day was like, when you talk about, like, that relationship crushed me. I feel that. But um, all that to say, I had done the engaged thing before, too, and I was like, this is just... I was like, we know, so we're going to go for this. Stop Googling Paul Gessler. See you, See you right now. I'm sorry. So, I'm just so, trying to... <laughs> so you and you and Denise uh, get married uh, right along with the Lord on a timeline, pretty aggressive. Yeah. And then so so how do you go from being married, living your whole life, getting raised out there, you're planted in churches out there, you're working in an incredible job out there that you love. How do you end up over here? I mean, we're really grateful that you're here, but how does how do you go from printing press, love your life, to you're over here? How does that swing happen? Um, it's a long story and not enough time, but we, um, you know, we knew we had a call on our life, you know, Denise and myself, we, we had been in ministry, you know, we were like the youth pastor pets, basically, you know, we were always there whenever the doors were open. And I was always like that with, with Dave Scheuer, my, my friend, my, my pastor. And then she was the same way with her youth pastor in Easton. And so it was just, that was so much part of our life. So that when we got married, um, I started going to the Eastern Church where Denise was at, which was awesome because my best friend and mentor and life coach, Dave Scheuer, was there. So we basically just served under his leadership, him and his wife, and we helped as far as develop the youth ministry there. So it was just a natural fit. So we did that for a while. Um, I switched careers because I um, I didn't want to work night shift anymore in a swing shift moving from second mm-hmm. to third. It was just hard on our relationship uh, being a young married couple. And I told them that at the printing company, you know, and and they said, I'm sorry, you know, it's all about seniority. You don't have as much. A God, shift is really rough. Yeah, guys have been there 20, 30 years. And it was just hard on my body. Um, I didn't, you know, certain people were really good working second and third shift. I really did not like third shift. It was hard on my body. I was always tired. Even if I would sleep all day, I would still always be tired. And, um. So anyway, we switched some gears. I changed my career. And, um, you know, being on the shore 
for most of our marriage until this past year. Uh, was a youth pastor in a while. Um, moved to a couple different places on the shore. I ended up becoming a youth pastor at, at the church that I grew up in at Centerville, which was pretty cool for two or three years. And God moved us around, and then God told us to go back to Easton, and then we went back to Easton Church and helped out there and um, just doing my normal job and everything. And then um, last year, last January, I guess it would be beginning of 2021, we just really felt like, you know, God had, um, we just felt like there was this transition that was happening at the church we were at. Like, there was nothing wrong with the church. There was nothing wrong with the leadership. We were very integral in a lot of roles, a lot of parts. We had big roles in at the church, multiple roles, uh, both Denise and myself and our kids. But we really felt like that God was moving us and transitioning us out of that that time or that season. And um, so it was really hard because, you know, you're deeply rooted, you know, and not that we're a big deal because we're not, but we were doing a lot of stuff there. And it's kind of like that whole 80-20 rule, you know, where, and in anything, whether it's in business or church or whatever, that, you know, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Yeah, yeah, it tends to be a thing. It's real. It's a real rule. It's a real ratio, whatever. And we were one of those 20% of people. And so us leaving, there was a huge void. So that was hard, but we knew that God was calling. Um, and so Denise, um, Denise and I... and everything we kind of talked about things and I honestly did not want to leave. I still miss the shore. Do you feel guilty for leaving? No, I selfishly, I just want to be on the shore even today. Just enjoy the setup. I like there. the lifestyle. I love the water. I just like the pace. It's, it's much slower and nothing against you, Andrew. The people over there are, are a little bit nicer. I think Yeah, it's Gener probably, generally yeah, n nothing against me. Just specific. I'm not, people. I'm not, okay. I'm, not specific to, example I'm not trying to <laughs> stereotype people anybody but no it's but true the, the the yeah but me <laughs> no the the I, I can attest because when, whenever we hop over the bridge um it reminds me of georgia i grew up yeah. half here and half in georgia and just um people offer to pump the old lady's gas at the gas station and life's life's about 30 mile an hour slower not in a bad yeah. way it's just it's enjoyed more it's like yeah i don't drink the wine to get drunk i drink the wine well that's a bad example because i don't drink but i don't i don't eat the food just to feel full i eat it to enjoy the meal like it's yeah. it's a different thought process, and I get it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the deal with that. But um, I don't know. So anyway, God was telling us, you know, we needed to move on, but we didn't know where to go. Um, and I switched some things up with my career, and I was I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing, and I wanted to do more. I wanted to be able to bless people, uh, missionaries, and pastors and preachers and just generally like be able to help people um, that if they were struggling financially um, that I would be able to help help them and like I I've told you before privately and I've told other people you know one of my goals is to be in a position to where I can help people and that they would not know that I was the one that was helping them like help, help finance some of the kingdom but let it be a silent help Exactly. Yeah. Or even if like Mrs. Smith or whoever, whoever this person is, if I find out through a church or by word of mouth or whatever that, you know, they can't pay their utility bill. Like, I just want to go to the utility company and just say, hey, whatever Miss Smith's account, I just want to pay it in full. Absolutely. And like literally Miss Smith not know who did it or how it happened. 
that she just finds out through the utility company, like some someone came in and it's paid for, and she will literally never know. Like that's my whole goal. I want her to give God the glory. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that's in the. Um, I don't know if you've seen like the disc assessment when you do personality types. We have one that we do here um, called Steps to Impact to kind of um, it's it's a you know like coming into the church class of where are you, who are we, how do you fit in here, all that kind of stuff. And um, in that, it it identifies helps identify different people's different spiritual gifts because you want to pour into those gifts, give them room to grow. Mm-hmm. We would call that the gift of giving, and it's a really rare gift um, in my opinion because there's not a lot of people who. Um, their heart, and it's how you know that God has designed it in, in you, is there's not a lot of people that are just like, oh, um, yeah, I want to, my goal in life is to be able to give away all of the resource or finances God gives me. That's what I want to do, literally. Yeah, yeah, well, and you want to do it with with no personal benefit, like not your name, not a plaque, not a foundation. I don't want You any just want to be able to finance the kingdom. I just don't want, I don't want any credit. I just want the Lord to give me the, the skills and the, the talent and the energy and the mind to do it. And he has, and he is. It's funny because it says that he searches to and fro the whole earth looking for someone he could use. So when somebody just says, Lord, I'll give it to whoever you tell me to give it to. I'm here. I'm available. God's like, I can work through that person because they don't want it for selfish gain or for anything else. So and it's, I wanna, it's I a special say, heart. And I want to say a really cool story. So I'm not where I want to be yet from a financial standpoint. I'm far from it. But the Lord has me going in the direction and the path that I need to. And association, like I told you, has been a big thing for me this year and just being around really good people that are, that are, that I'm running with the right pack. Yeah. Pull that apart a little bit. Talk about your principle of association as we wrap this up. So that's a good part to put a bell on this. Talk about where you're targeting, where you're going to what, why is why is association so important if you're telling somebody for the first time? It's like the, there's a saying you might've heard it in some circles, but you know, it's like, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Um, the people that you hang out with will be the people that you, most likely become, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, I'm just trying to be around people that are extremely successful, whether it's in business, their relationship with their wife and their children, um, in church, just strong, strong leaders, uh, strong men of God. Um, and that's really where I'm at as far as this year. I've never had a, a theme of the year or, you know, some sort of whatever, Every year, like this year, the word for me is going to be the, like, I'm not that guy, but I find myself this year, it's like all about association. You know, you need to, you need to run. It's kind of like I heard people say, like, if you're the smartest person in your group of five friends, you need to leave that group and find a new group. Because you're not being challenged to grow. Right. And so I, and that's the thing with me. Um, but just getting back real quick, I wanted to share. I feel like I need to share this. So I'm not Come where on. I'm not where I need to be, or where I want to be. I'm I'm not satisfied. It's from a financial standpoint, as far as funding the kingdom. But something really cool happened the other day. I was, I was in be, in between appointments, and I I love going to Panera Bread because you could totally go in there and like spend all day there. Come on, your laptop. man. Come on, Panera I just, Plug. I just wish everybody could just every restaurant could have their setup and have free electricity and all that, and you just plug your laptop in, and it's just glorious. So I'm sitting there, minding my own business, being a good little boy, got my laptop, <laughs> working on some pending business, and I've got my, my my drink, and I'm just sitting there. Just being a good little Todd. Being a good little boy, being a good little Todd. And uh, this older lady came up, and she sits down like 
a couple of seats down from me. And, um, and then this other lady, and she was just, oh, hello, how are you doing? She was just very, like, Todd-like. <laughs> and I was like, I like her for some reason. And I was like, I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Da, da, da. And uh, she says, you working? I said, yeah, actually I am. And um, taking care of some things. And she says, oh. And then I didn't ask her. She just told me. She says, yeah, I'm getting ready to hang out with some of my girlfriends. They're, you know, they're in town. I'm just going to hang out with them. I said, well, that's nice. I said, look at that. It's a, Let's say it was a Tuesday, some day of the week. I was like, look at it. It's a Tuesday, you know, and look at you ladies. You guys are living your best life. Just, you know, hamming it up, having a good old time, just, you know, catching up and like talking about old times. She's like, yeah, this isn't as, this is just great. It's such a blessing. Well, then that was like my cue. I was like, Keyword. oh, she said blessing. I was like, my little antennas went up. I was like, here we go. And so a couple minutes goes by. Another lady shows up and sits down and it's these three women and they're two tables down from me. And her friend is talking about how she had just came back from overseas and how their ministry you know, there's, there's so much devastation. There was a fire, all of these things. And I couldn't figure out where she was at in the country. And I, I'm listening. I'm supposed to be doing my pending business, which I was. But I had, you know, I was... Ear- Type with an ear open. I was, as they say in Cambridge, Maryland. I don't know what they say anywhere else, but they call it ear hustling. Okay, so... <laughs> that's great. That's I am 100% <laughs> thiefing that from you. Ear hustling. That's awesome. It's called eavesdropping everywhere else, but they call it in Cambridge... Ear hustling. Ear hustling. So I was ear hustling, and I was listening to the lady how she was saying how there's such a great need from a financial standpoint. There's you know there's so much work that needs to be done, and she's just praying about it. And she's like, you know, I'm willing, and blah blah blah. And she had just came back, and she was actually in India. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh God, this is happening. This is really the beginning for me. Honestly, this is where I'm at this whole journey where I want the Lord to use me to help finance, help ministries, help missionaries. And here I'm sitting two things down from a mission, a real full-blown missionary that I don't know. I don't know what denomination she's from. I don't care. I just know it's a kingdom. And everything that she says lines up with what I believe to be true. And I'm like this pit in my stomach. And I'm like, don't say anything, Todd. This is not, they're just doing their thing. You need to stay out of it. And so it was getting time, and I get, had to get ready to go to another appointment, meet with the client. And I'm closing my laptop. I'm clean, you know, getting everything cleaned up. I throw my trash out, and then I'm like, you got to do it. So I grabbed my business card, and I put my cell phone on the back of it. And I said, look, I said, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian. I've, I've been listening. I confess. <laughs> I've been ear hustling. <laughs> I have sinned. No, I said, uh, I overheard <laughs> some of the things that you guys were sharing and I love your heart and I hear what you're doing in, in India and throughout the world. And God has put me in a position to where I want to help people like yourself. And I said, so if it's okay, I'm going to give you my card. And it, this is my cell number. And I said, you know, if you want, please call me because I want to help fund this ministry by whatever means that my wife and I can, can afford to do so. And not, my prayer is that the God, God will continue to bless me so I can bless you, your ministry, and other ministries throughout the world. And, uh, and it was so funny because she was kind of so like, good. she was kind of like, well, 
well, that, well that, that's very nice of you. You know, we're just, you know, we're just struggling and everything. And, and she's like still like in her, like, this is the missionary lady still kind of, like, yeah, the, the need is so great. And da, da, da. And, and then the one lady that was like acting like me when she first came into Panera, she was like, her, her name is uh, Elizabeth. She says, Elizabeth, didn't you just hear this guy, this business guy wants to give you money so you can make a difference in India and you're talking about the struggle. Like, he's going to help you. <laughs> Take his card and call him. That's great. She says, well, I'll, I'll try to find you on, you know, Facebook or you know, whatever. She says, no, Elizabeth, Take the phone his number. cell phone number is on that business card. Don't go on social media. Call him. That's great. <laughs> and so I had to go because at that point it was running late. And, and she says, can we just pray before you leave? And so here me and these three ladies we're all joining hands in panera right there in front of everything so great and we're praying and god is so good and so the other day um she had called me several times and messaged me but i was really busy and and then i was able to send her some money and i'm telling you it was like the best thing i loved it and it was just like for me it was like this is just the beginning this is like just the beginning of what god is getting ready to do it's so good man that's so good so for anybody who's in that position where they know what their their call is the thing in their heart god's put them on the earth to do like you 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 know that you know that you know that you're going to be a resource center for the kingdom and in whatever way that looks you know it's in there it's a desire of your heart you know god put it there so for anybody who's got that desire identified right so for you it's the finances for me it's you know, traveling and putting my hands to things in different countries, like physically affecting work and preaching, like for anyone who knows what that is, but you're not yet doing it, not to the degree that you want to do or you desire, or you see yourself doing it. What's your advice to them right now? What are you waiting for? Like literally, what are you waiting for? Like stop procrastinating because there's, there's people that are counting on you and their breakthrough is dependent on your obedience. Oh, put on a t-shirt. If there was a bomb that you could drop, there it is. You know, say it again. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. It's always fear. Their, their breakthrough is dependent on your obedience. Man, I'm put glad we're gonna on, put it on a t-shirt. And quote me, TC. So good, man. TC said it. <laughs> but um, but it's true. And I know so many times in my life. We worry about what kind of full circle. We worry about what people think or oh, I don't know if I should do this or not. Like, just do it. You don't have to have it all figured out when you get started. You just got to get started. If you don't start, it's not going to happen. And I mean, you know, Andrew, like you take that first step and then another door opens. But that next door doesn't open until you take that step. You got to you just got to walk it out. You got to make that that leap of faith and just take that chance, take that risk. Like, like I know from a financial standpoint, literally I don't have that much in the bank right now. Like it's really honestly pathetic, but the fact that I was able to give and help that, that missionary in India, I know that God's going to just continue to bless me. So it's like, just take the step. Even if it's only a baby step, a baby step is better than no step. So, well, like I said, what are you waiting for? Just do it because if you know that God's called you to do it and you're not doing it, you're actually being disobedient 
Come on. And you're being out of alignment with God. Now, God's going to let you have your permissive will, but he can also, you can, you can either be in his permissive will or be in God's perfect will. What do you choose? Oh, I want to be in God's perfect will. Do you? Do you really? <laughs> do you? Do you want to be? <laughs> do you really? Do you want to you want to go through what it's going to take in order to be in God's perfect will? And most people will say no. But, you know, that breakthrough, man, to know that you're living at your full potential and that that what you are designed to do, because everybody was designed differently, everybody has a different path. Like you said earlier, I posted something on social media the other day, and it's like, don't compare yourself to other people. You need to be the best version of yourself. God's created you, given you a specific path to go on, and you got to get on that path. And don't be steered away by what what looks to be good and all of these things. Well, you know, good is, has stopped a lot of things from people being great. I don't want to be preachy, but I can't I can't leave some of that untouched. Um, talk about, like, what are you waiting for? Like, I've got a real-life testimony of that that's in the works, like, as we speak. Um Scripture says that you know, a lot of examples about knocking and asking, you know, and um, a really good principle that um, Bishop Mike McDermott has taught, who is uh, the founding pastors over at Life Source. Um, he's been over here a couple of times, and 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 you know, Pastor Mike is absolutely incredible. Um, he teaches this principle that, that I haven't heard anywhere else before. It's, I've heard it from him originally, um, which is Earth moves first. Like God, God's ready to respond, but and you see it all through Scripture. People petition God's heart, and God moves. Um, and you get the story about knocking for bread, and knocking and knocking and knocking, and and, and the door finally opens. Um, there, there's something to be said about going after what you want. And I think the lie that that needs to be called out is people hear the lie of, well, if it's God's will, He'll bring it to you. Well, yeah, He will, but He also expects you to move in action. Faith without works is dead. He expects you to be participatory in this and not just, Lord, I'm going to sit right here until you drop that thing in my lap that's your perfect will. Well, God's waiting for you to, you, you meet God in, in the road to action on that. And I think the, the lie that if it's God's will, it's just going to fall out of the sky. You don't have to do anything to make it happen. He can do that, but he's looking for you to engage. That's what he partnered. He's looking for a partnership and the lie that, oh, well, and this is one that I know because I've heard it before in my own mind. Uh, you know, you need to be a couple years older before you do that. You you need a little bit more time under your belt. Nobody's going to let you do that just yet. You're too young. You're too this. You're too that. You know, and and those lies that get fought oftentimes stop you from ever opening the door. So so just to testify about it right now, um, and I don't want to hijack your time, but go to man. testify that's go. happening right now. Um, so I felt this prick to go to the Ukraine. Um, to either go into Ukraine or go to Poland when this stuff kicked off. When something happens that's tragic, I want to go to it. It's just the way that I'm built. I can't explain it. Um, it's the reason I love the firehouse because I love – the other day we had a guy who uh, – we had a patient who had a stroke. I mean, full-blown stroke, left side of his body, completely limp, first stroke. You know, I go home. My wife will hear about cardiac arrests and other stuff that we've had. And I enjoy doing that because – more than the adrenaline, more than anything else, I enjoying the heat of the moment. The Lord has built me that I am the most calm I ever am in the heat of that. And he's given me the skills medically and with building and stuff like that, that when there's a disaster, I can be put to work doing something. You know, I, I'm equipped that way. So things like the tornado in Kentucky happen, stuff like that, and I'm always like, oh, I want to go. And then I'm like, okay, well, if an opportunity presents itself, I'm going to jump at it. 
And no, that's the lie. The lie is if the opportunity, I'm going to go find the opportunity. I'm going to knock on the doors until God tells me, hey, buddy, not this one. Okay. Okay. I can listen to that. So so I knocked on the door about the Ukraine the other day. And I'm like, hey, told somebody really close to me, listen, I want to do this. Um, I feel the prick. I'm going to start knocking on doors. I'm knocking with you first. If you know anybody, if we have a connection, go talk to this person. Talk to somebody who just recently went to the Ukraine and came back. Hey, listen, I have this on my heart. Okay, I have a call with a pastor tomorrow who's my pastoral connection there, who is the Church of God Overseer in Bulgaria. Um, Let me mention you to them and see what they they know. Now let me read you back what what I got today from that conversation. So that person comes back to me. That person comes back to me and says, Hey, brother, I want you to know I did speak with the pastor. I spent time with him in Poland. My next step is they want me to communicate directly with the lead pastor for the Church of God over Poland. I'm attempting to make contact with him now, and I'll let you know um, once we have a better understanding of the needs. So just the doors that are like, who, who, in what fallacy of my imagination is my name being brought up to somebody that oversees the entire country of Poland for the Church of God? I've got no right to be in that conversation, but I have a desire to go help. I don't care how far it is. I don't care how dirty, nasty. My mother is like, have you thought about your wife and kids? I'm like, yes, I have. When the Lord takes me, the Lord takes me, whether it's there or here. But my daughter will testify that her father was committed to show Christ wherever he could, wherever he could go. And the desire is in my heart to pursue that. And just as you knock, those doors that open that you have no clue are going to open before. It's so good, man. I got to thank you for that, brother. What are you waiting for? We're going to put that on a t-shirt. What are you waiting for? That's true. And I'm, I mean, I'm a big, I'm just as much to blame to it. I mean, there's things in my life that I know. You know, you know, no one, no one knows exactly everything that you think. And you know, at the end of a day, whether you gave it 110 or whether you only gave it 100. Yep. And everybody thinks, oh man, Andrew did 110. He does it every day. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because Andrew knows in his heart of hearts yep. if he did or if he didn't. How much this day got. You know, did you, did you go after and did you win the day, the whole day? Or did you, did you slack off in a couple areas? And that to me is a challenge. You know what I mean? Like I'm highly motivated, but I always know I, I could do a little bit more. And yeah, if I can just do a little bit more. And I know. think that's what keeps you crisp too, is that, and that's humility. Humility is recognizing you have a need. And if we can all stay humble enough to say, I could have done better today. I could have done, I can, I can self-reflect with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, with my own mind all together and say, okay, there are some things that, okay, that and that, I can do better tomorrow. And not in a self-deprecating way. Like, man, A, B, and C went really good. But uh, L and E, mm, I need to improve those tomorrow. And it's that, you talk about it all the time. It's the mindset. It's the attitude that show me your friends, show your future, who you hang around, the people that motivate you to do that. You know, I can, if you're not, and you, you can testify to this, if you're not sitting down at the end of the day and debriefing your day with yourself, how did today go? Five minutes, 10 minutes at the end of your day you're not maximizing your potential because you're not saying, what did I do good and not do good today? You know, the humility to say, there are things that I didn't do good. And you know what? I want to get them right. I want to do them better tomorrow than I did today. Yeah. I'm all about self-development, looking at yourself. You know, one of the things that hit me the other day and is a thought that came to my mind was think about what you're thinking about. Like, what are the things that you're thinking about? Think about what you're thinking about. Just Think about that, you know, like, why am I thinking that way? What am I doing? Like, you know, I think we should work more on ourselves than we do on our own job, whatever that job is. We can develop ourselves to grow 
and then we can make a bigger impact on other people. That's it, man. Issues of life flow out of your heart. So if our hearts are right, if we're right, if we're improving, the things around us flow from that. It's so good, man. I, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't plug while we're on here um, that uh, Todd has helped me to protect my family uh, and my wife to protect our family. Uh, so Todd has set us up with some phenomenal life insurance uh, and educated us on the process. And I had no clue what it was that it was even important um, until I had somebody else, our accountant, actually recommend that my wife and I look into it uh, while we're young. So I just got to thank you uh, publicly and say that if anyone's looking for someone who can just talk to you about the process, I'm not even saying buy anything from him. You have to buy anything from him. If you're looking to ask the right questions to somebody who give you some honest answers, um, I got to plug you, sir. I didn't ask you about this. I didn't tell you I was going to do it. Um, I just, it was when you meet uh, genuine people who have a genuine, genuinely good intention, then you got to recognize that. So uh, Todd Carter, if you need to reach out to me, um, I certainly give you his contact info. And before we leave the people, do you have anything, sir? I just, you know, I think it's just really, thank you, Andrew. Um, when, when my dad passed away um, about a year and a half ago, I realized how important the legacy is and how you're, you're, you're writing, you're writing your legacy, whether you realize it or not, whether it's intentional or not. And so just be purposeful that, I don't know, I, as I'm getting older and I'm only 41 right now and I say only, but, um, I'm already at the point now where I'm doing a lot of self-reflection and I'm looking and I know that's a natural thing as you get older to look back at your life. And I look back at with a lot of things and I wouldn't say that I have regret, but I, I think I do in some ways where it's like, man, I could have done it better, but I think just be purposeful that to live in the moment, enjoy the journey, but think about the future. Think about, you know, when I die, how do I want to be remembered? And I just want to say this, and I I don't apologize. I want to say I apologize, but I feel like I need to say this. <clears throat> when my dad passed away a year and a half ago, before that, when he was 70 years old, my sister put together a really nice surprise um, birthday party for my dad in Chestertown. And a lot of his old friends and people that, that he knew, colleagues through his work and different things came and um, my dad was really sick, but he had gotten a little bit better, better enough that we could have the party. And my sister did this thing when we were having this fellowship. She you know, grabbed a microphone and she says, okay. She says, I know my dad is special to a lot of people. And there was, the room was packed, packed with people. And she says, so I just want to leave an opportunity or a time when, um, you know, you can kind of like just share something funny that happened or maybe my dad made an impact on you or whatever. And my dad is a talker, okay? You think I talk a lot? Oh, my gosh. I talk a quarter of what my dad does. And so um, my sister kind of put that out there to say, if there's anybody that wants to share something, you know, here's an open mic, go for it. And I couldn't tell you how many people were standing up and sharing, like, differences. Like, with my, my dad did route sales. He was the Lance Cracker Man, those little orange peanut butter crackers. Yeah, that's a bomb. <laughs> so... He did that for many years, and so he was known in the community. And there was one lady that stood up and had said that, you know, my dad delivered these crackers and whatever, snacks to this one grocery store in Chestertown. And she stood up, and her husband was sitting next to her and was saying how his life, their marriage was in, in 
chaos. It was just torn to pieces. And that guy was like the shipping and receiving manager of that grocery store. And my dad was going in there two, three times a week to restock the, the store or whatever. And my dad was always encouraging him and doing what my dad does, which was just minister and encourage and tell people about Jesus. He was not ashamed to tell people about Jesus. He would literally say Jesus. He would literally ask to pray with people right in grocery stores, right at the gas pump. It doesn't matter. He had literally so much boldness that he did not care. He did not care what people thought. He was on a mission to lead people towards Jesus. He wanted to point people to Jesus and lead them if he could. And so she was going on to this story about this real story about their, their marriage and how he, the husband that worked at the grocery store wasn't living for God, but she was, and how my dad was such an integral part of him turning his life around. And my dad ended up leading him to Christ right there in the shipping and receiving of the grocery store. That's phenomenal. You know, the cameras are on and everything and, you know, in the shipping and receiving, they saw the whole thing. And, and then, at this point, the woman is in tears. Her husband's sitting right beside her. And she was just saying, like, thank you so much for what you did, you know, to pour into my husband. Now they're both in ministry. They're pastoring. And, I mean, it's like crazy stuff. You know, I got goosebumps talking about it. It's just like, so you don't know the impact that you make. And I remember my kids were, like, all in a ruckus. They were talking. They were, dad, 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 dad. And there was all these people talking. And it was like in that mind, in that mind or that moment, it was like singleness of mind. And I was like blocking out everything. And I was like hyper-focused on what every word that these people were saying about my dad. Because growing up, we always kind of just blew my dad off. He would always tell stories. He was always talking. We would always make fun of him, say, we think you're just talking just to hear yourself. And we would just kind of like demean him and not really mean it in a bad way, but we would just mess with him. And it was really wrong, to be honest with you. And I felt bad about that. But here in this moment, I, I realized all these people in this room, my dad had made such an impact on their life, like a lasting impact. And here he is, 70 years young. And, you know, I'm like almost, you know, I'm like 38, 36, something like that. And I realized more at that moment that I want to be more like my dad. And then, and then what I've realized is, is what, how do I want to be remembered when I'm 70 years old? And I'm like comparing my dad to me, and I'm like, I want people to say, if they could just say half the stuff that they said about my dad to me when I'm 70. So I just want to encourage people to live a life of being intentional. And like when you die or when you're ancient, at least, how do you want to be remembered? Do you, do you want people to say, you know, Andrew, you made a difference. You know, you went and helped rebuild a village in Ukraine, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You go into Uganda or go into Zimbabwe or, you know, yes, where Bulgaria, all of the above. wherever. But you made a difference. Your presence there made a difference. It would not be the same if you weren't there, if you didn't commit, if you didn't make that step. And so that's just, it's all to me, it's all about leaving a legacy, helping others. For me, I always say it's in you know, a faith, family, and helping others leave a legacy, whether that's through, you know, protecting your family from an, with an insurance policy, which is wonderful, or whether it's praying with someone or help mentoring someone or encouraging someone. It's all about things that matter. It's all about the future. Leave a legacy. Think about the future. Live a life for legacy. That's good. As long as the legacy is Christ. 
Because when you aim for that, then everything else follows. It's so good. So, so, so good. We uh, will pray, and then we'll wrap this up here. You want to close us out in prayer? Yep. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this time, Lord, that we're able to kind of lock in in this, this little time capsule, if you will. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that that you would just continue to help everybody, Lord, that if they're listening right now, Lord, that you would just strengthen them, that you would encourage them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that everyone would just tune in to you, Lord Jesus, that they would listen to your still small voice, that they would not be distracted by all the voices um, around and telling them what to do and where to go, but Lord, that you would be you would be the God, you would be the the voice that they would listen to. And um, I just pray, Lord, that they would just be encouraged and that you would just bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Really enjoyed you coming back in again, brother. I know it's not the last time, just one of many. And just want to encourage anybody out there that if you have a testimony, if you've got something that's happened, something that you need to testify about, a story, a moment, um, or you want to get on the next episode of the Kingdom Report where we're hashing out some of the craziness that's happening um, in our world and in the news right now and in the, in the government. Like there's just some some crazy stuff, uh, Project Veritas, some other things that are going on. So if you are interested on either end, I would petition you to give me a call, a text, an email, and let's get together and sit down and talk. Uh, I list all my info below in the descriptions now. I've been uh, poked to do that, but you can reach me on my cell phone, 443-615-6682 or andrewborum at gmail.com, A-N-D-R-E-W-B-O-R-A-M as in Martin. We appreciate you guys. We love you, and we will catch you next time.